Well, I want to I want to get into the word today. Um, we we have been on this journey, and I keep reminding you, but just a little recap. We've been on this journey, uh, searching for a spiritual awakening. It's not just a little catchphrase. Uh, my intentions aren't that. It's not just for a sermon series. And hey, I got to come up with something. But I truly hunger myself. Um, and God's been doing some things in me. I, I've sensed it. I've, I've I went through some struggles where it seemed like I was really struggling with God, and then it just. And then it's like lately I've just been feeling some breakthroughs myself. Been praying that for the whole church. But, um, you know, if you grew up in church, you've been through some really great experiences where God's spirit fell, then you might pray for revival. And that's reviving something that's not, not alive anymore, right? But, but as a church, I really believe that some of our younger folks may not have experienced the power of God like some of the rest of us have. So I've been praying for spiritual awakening. So we've talked about things like fasting, you know, when you give up food or TV or something that you, you just really love, but you want to spend that time with God, and so how powerful fasting is. The Bible says some things only happen by prayer and fasting. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about the infilling of, uh, of the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking tongues, what that did for the disciples after Jesus was crucified and they were hiding out. We're talking about all these things that are kind of key components to a real spiritual awakening. And what we're asking is, how do we get to the point where God shows up so real in my life, I never will question again that he's real. And whether I'm already there or not, I'll get to the point where it's just, I can always point back to that moment and say, God has shown up in such a real way to me, just broken me, just just really connected with me and and such a, a love I have for him. It's just intensified. Well, it got me thinking, you know, we just started in March. And what was last month, February? What's the holiday in February? Valentine's Day. And if you're single, you're just kind of eh and hoping it would pass, uh, right? But some of us that are married or if you're dating, you work in the office space. And I remember working at Walmart corporate office, and I'd work real hard to try to think of something that would be really a wow thing. Because, you know, guys, we, we get it to impress our wives or whatever, but we know that there's going to be others watching. And what really makes a difference for them is all their friends they work with. Like, oh, he really loves you, right? You know, look at what you got. And it's, there's a little bit of jealousy there because I work hard. I, I, I think, okay, I'll get this bouquet. And then somebody shows up, Danny, with this huge mountain of roses, you know. I'm like, jerk. Why would you do that for your wife? You know what you're doing to all of us other guys? It's like you probably went to the casino and won a bunch of money the night before. And he's like, woo. God has provided, you know, um, you know, you got all these ideas like how did he get the money for that? You know, wh- whatever. But it, you know, jealousy, jealousy can kind of do some weird things in us. Right. And you kind of you kind of almost mad at the other person when you get jealous. There's a contemporary Christian song by David Crowder that uh, we, we had a worship leader that started doing this song. And there's some words to the song that I actually had them change, which I don't normally do, but. Um, you ever heard David Crowder's song, um, Oh, How He Loves Me? He goes, uh, he is jealous for me. The lyrics say, he is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great, uh, how great your affections are for me. Now, that's a good part of the song. There's another part that used to say, this is a song, right? They say, uh, something like, like, yeah, loving God, like you giving him a sloppy white kiss. And I said, okay, that's just, can't do that. So I said, we can sing that song, but you got to change that. It gives me a great hug or something. I don't know. But it just, 
but it was wrong. But, but this catches my attention because it talks about the jealousy of God. And it's referring to a passage in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, which is our main text. But it's referring to Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. It says, you shall not make your, for yourself a carved image. This is talking about the Ten Commandments. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make an image. Don't worship other things. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Now, wait a minute. Jealousy is a sin, right? Well, we're, we're going to look at this. Exodus chapter 20 is, is of course, focus, it's, of course Moses delivering the Ten Commandments, but verses 4 through 6 are, are the second commandment, thou shalt not make any graven images. But today, I don't want us to look at the second commandment per se. I want us to look beyond the mere command not to worship anyone or anything but God and look at why Moses tells us that one should not give our affections and worship to anyone or anything but God. I was captured by the idea that God of the universe is jealous. Is he jealous of me? I mean, I don't have anything on God. Why would he be jealous of me? But God in his infinite power and glory is concerned about me. He, he's like this loving parent. He cares what I do. A, a parent who does not care what their child does or what they become, what becomes of the child, does not love that child. God is jealous of my best interest, and how amazing is that? You know, a dad, you know, we talk about a good heavenly father. We sing a song, good, good father. Well, a good, good father, he, he is concerned about his children. He doesn't just let them do whatever they want. Now, granddad, all he cares about is if they like him. So here's the candy, here's all the stuff you're not supposed to have. Now go home for your punishment, for your parents, for doing all things at my house you're not supposed to do. And uh, I look at Danny for reasons he... Yeah, yeah. But, but grandfathers sometimes, you know, they get to send them home for, for uh, discipline and that kind of thing. But, but we, there's some that it seems like we may sometimes think we're wanting a heavenly grandfather, not a heavenly father. So what does it mean? Here, here's the thing. I want to explore this idea of why God is jealous for me. And the first thing I want to point out is the meaning of God's jealousy. Because there's not one and the same. You can't use jealousy in the Bible for every instance as mentioned and say it's the same word and same meaning because it isn't. Is this simply a way God is using human characteristics to describe himself? He's borrowing that word for that. Is he saying this to make us feel good about ourselves when he is in fact not jealous? No. Or, or did the translators just get this word wrong when it, when it should have been translated merciful or something? No. The Hebrew word translated jealous literally means to become intensely red. You know, when you're a teenager and you really like that girl and all of a sudden some other cool guy's trying to move in on them and you just feel your face getting hot like, what is he doing? Stay away from her, you know? It's this idea of just that that the intensity of this jealousy, this emotion, is causing a physical redness of the face. When we think of the characteristics of God, jealousy is not one that immediately leaps to our minds. I wouldn't immediately, when I think about all the attributes of God, just say, oh yeah, he's jealous. It, it causes some people problems in their, their doctrine of theology or belief in God to actually attribute jealousy to him. But there's five verses, Exodus 20, verse 5, Exodus 34, verse 14, Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, Deuteronomy 5, 9, Deuteronomy 6, 10. These all have in common that they, they share the same Hebrew objective, guana, guana, 
I said Quana. I didn't mean that. Quana, Q-A-N-N-A in the in the in the Hebrew, and that is the 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 word jealousy that's only used for God. It's translated jealous in English, but it's only used for God. If you talk about jealousy for humans, the sinful jealousy, it's a different word. In o- in no instance is a word th- that we I said used to describe human jealousy. But God not only accepts jealousy as a trait, the godly jealousy, that he even takes it on as his name. So in the names of God, one of the names, he actually even, you know, he, he's, he uses it as his identity. Exodus 34, 14 states, whose name is Jealous. So what does this mean that God is a jealous God? I mean, wait a minute. Like I said, jealousy is a sin, right? Well, throughout the New Testament, in places like Romans 13.3 and Galatians 5.20, it is listed as a vice, not a virtue. It's listed as a bad thing, not a good thing. In 1 Corinthians 13.4, when the Apostle Paul lists all the characteristics of true love, he says love is not jealous. So jealousy normally carries that negative connotation. So how can God be jealous? Well, Oprah, I know she's kind of almost a has-been when it comes to being famous, but Oprah, you know, she had a lot of times, that she had a big following of Christian ladies uh, in the beginning because she talked about her faith, seemed pretty solid in it, and then all of a sudden moved to this New Age doctrine and lost uh, a lot of people's uh, respect and all. And she actually states in um, a book, Finding Your Spiritual Path, uh, well, actually she said at a webcast, Tramstrip, on January 20, 14, 2009, she says, how can this God who is all-loving and all-powerful, why would God be jealous of me? Like she presumed that at her status or whatever, she thought that God could be jealous. And it caused problems for her in her upbringing, in her faith. Probably means she hadn't got, kept grounded in God's word. But so she had to develop this new age idea of God uh, of her own making. Oprah actually stated it was an aha moment for her when she was in a Christian church and this pastor's preaching about how God is jealous. And she said, God can't be jealous. That would mean he's not God. But she had it wrong because she wasn't understanding the the true uh, idea of what the word meant when it was used. When we typically think of jealousy, we tend to think of it as something negative, more like envy. The husband who will not trust his wife, regardless of her years of faithfulness, is one image that may come to mind. Another image that comes to mind is that of a neighbor or a friend, family member, co-worker who fumes over the success of others and barely contains their joy for the failures of others because he's jealous. There's a movie that I watched a long time ago, and I don't remember how good it was to watch, so don't go watch it. But I just, I just remember this movie called Envy, and it had Jack Black and Ben Stiller. And the whole premise of the movie is uh, ben Stiller was a more successful one in their factory job or what it was, and he just his friend just kind of followed him around, you know, and thought he was great. And his friend comes up with this uh, invention, this idea. He's driving one day and sees this lady having to pick up the mess after her dog in a plastic bag. And they're like, ugh. And he comes up with this idea that he's going to make a spray that makes dog mess disappear. And he calls it vaporize. And so... And so he's an infomercial thing. And next thing you know, he's got this big mansion of a house. Literally, the shadow of it is casting shadow over his friend's house. And, and so this whole movie goes where just the envy gets worse and worse. 
and he ends up like killing the guy's new horse he got and all this stuff. It's, it's a, a mess. And envy can really be messy. And so jealousy, sometimes really what we're talking about is envy, where envy causes us to be angry that the other person has stuff we don't have. Now, I wasn't sure where we were going to have the kids all in the service today or not, or if they were going to be back uh, in the back, but I had planned the illustration, so I'll just tell you, but we don't have enough in here to do it. But if I was to have a bunch of candy, bags of candy, okay, or some kind of treat, and I put one group of kids over here and another group of kids over here, and I say, you know what, I just think I'll, I like this group better. I'll give you all candy. Now, I tell you, depending on the age of them, there's going to be some fumes coming off the heads over there, right? What? Why would envy where where it's not they can't be happy for them because they didn't get any. And that's how envy works. I can't be happy for my neighbor when they get that new boat that I would have liked to get that I can't afford to get. I would rather them not have it so I don't have to look at it every day and be jealous of it or envious. It's a self-serving hatred of someone because you want what they have. And perhaps this is a good point to make the distinction between jealousy and envy. Jealousy can be good or bad depending on the object of the jealousy. And that's why God can have a righteous jealousy because he's not wishing that you didn't have affection. He's not wanting to take things away from you. He's just saying, I love you so much, I want all your affection. I'm jealous for your affection. God's not competing with anybody. God doesn't have another God out there that he's got to try to fight for your love over. Now, you may set up idols in your life and give your attention away, but God's going to be God whether you worship him or not. He's not competing for his role. He just wants your affection. So that is the difference between that type of jealousy. And envy, by the way, it's a completely different word in the Greek language. And it, it's almost always bad. Like 99% of the time, it's, it's bad. True love is never jealous of someone you love, but is always jealous for the person you love. That's what the Bible says. God says, I'm jealous for you. In other words, he doesn't want you worshiping anything else or anyone else. He says, I am a jealous God. The second thing I want you to know is the base of, basis of God's jealousy is always love. See, here's the difference between the bad jealousy and what God has is, is God's type of jealousy is like, I just don't want our love to be extinguished. Whereas when we get jealous, over I just don't want you to be loved by anybody else. I don't want anybody else to have you. But it, it's not a matter. And then, and then if that doesn't go so well, I can actually get angry at the person I was loving and actually hate them. So it's not that God becomes where he hates us if we pull our affection away. He's just jealous for to regain our affection. A prevention of extinction of our love. Let me let me give you another illustration. If if your spouse is working in a workplace and all of a sudden someone takes interest and they come home talking about this person wants to try to walk them to their car or wants to try to send them emails that are not work related or those kind of things you know and all of a sudden you start to get that you start getting mad and you can't really legally do anything to that person right so you start turning your anger towards your spouse why don't you just tell them to go take a flying leap why don't you do this and and it and it causes fights and in marriages but god doesn't have anyone else there's no other god he can say hey leave my 
child alone. So it's really between us and God. Christ says, give me all of you. I don't want so much. I, I want all of your time. It's not just about your resources. I want your time, your love, your affection. In a marriage, a wife has a right to expect faithfulness by her husband. We, you take marriage vows, and so there's an expectation there, and there's, there's good reason to, to feel upset and to feel hurt if, if they show affection to anyone else. But how would she feel if she found out that the object of your affection was a store mannequin? I'm going to let that stop for a minute. Some of you, I think I'm losing you. But what if the affair... The store mannequin. I just, I just want to carry this mannequin around. I don't really want to come home. I want to take my mannequin out for coffee. You know? I'll sit them at the table, some there. And why are you guys laughing a lot? They're like, it was really more fitting for the kind of conversation guys like to have at a coffee shop over coffee, really. Just sit there and stare out the window. <laughs> Instead of how, how was your day and all this. And, you know, so, you know, it, 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 if, if that was the case, is she really competing for your affection? You'd say you might would say yes, but really not, because that dummy can't return any affection back. It's, it's not alive. It is and that's how God looks at all the temporary things that we put our affection into. That boat, that job, even sometimes our kids that get before God and all those things we put before God. It's like it's like a mannequin. It's like that's gonna rot, it's gonna rust away. When you die, you're not taking it with you. It's, it's a dummy. And, and so that's the kind of jealousy God has. Like, I'm just jealous, not, not because I'm mad or angry over some this other thing. It's just that you don't understand what we can have. I, I created you. I, I created you to worship. Remember, I've been, one of the things I've been talking about in the spiritual awakening is that you are created to be a worshiper. And you will. Atheist, Buddhist, Christian, whatever you are, you will worship something. And, and I, I, I like to use the analogy of a rock concert because... You go, you can be an atheist, but you go to your favorite band or anything, guess what? The lighter comes out, you're raising your hands. You will put physically actions out. And, and that's why it bothers me that Christians will go from one denomination to another, people who believe in Jesus, and say, oh, I, I don't do that because I don't believe in that raising the hands. Oh, yeah, you do. Maybe it's not raising hands. You show your affection physically towards the things that you think are the most important, and you'll do it because you're a worshiper. So to get bent over raising your hands in church or anything, it's just saying, what you're saying is, I'm I just not ready to give God that much. I'm not ready to give him that much of me. Because I, I think that's more a denominational thing. I don't No, everything we do is from the heart to worship God and show affection. And I, I gave you the example, my wife comes up, you know, you hug your spouse. When there is that deep love and relationship and commitment, it manifests physically in expressions of, of verbally, physically. Everything about love gets expressed. And so if you have little quirks about how you worship and you're worried about maybe cutting loose and doing a little dance, getting too Pentecostal or something, I'm just telling you, really what it comes down to, and this isn't me hammering you, I'm just saying you have a little bit of a love problem between you and God. And, and we all do. So I'm not, I'm not pointing you out and saying you're, you're not a good Christian, you're not Pentecostal. I'm just saying that of the whole of every church, every person in the church, Maybe you've not been moved on to do that. I'm just saying that there's times I'm sure that God has tried to move on you to do something physically, outwardly, and you hold back. And, and that's the same thing as when our spouse is feeling like having a good day and she's sweetie and she's hugging you and giving you kisses and you've had a bad day and you're just like, 
you know? And it's not anything towards them, really. I mean, I mean, I love my wife, and I'm not losing any commitment to her or anything. It's just I had a bad day, right? And, and I think that's what God must feel sometimes, because he's always, between us, he's always having a good day. I mean, he kind of gets upset at some things that goes on, but he's having a good day. And so he wants to just have a good conversation all day with us. He wants us to just spend time in worship and just, you know, get ready for heaven and to share our faith. And for God, it's, it's all positive that, you know, hey, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I mean, I'm trying to help you here. And we get in a worship service and when we hold back, it's just really we have a, we have a problem with expressing our love to God. That's what it comes down to. So he's jealous for that. He's like, He's like, I created you, and you've got all these stigmas about yourself because maybe the way you're raised and who your dad and mom was and their personalities and all this stuff, and maybe you've had 40 years of practicing being stern or you've been this or whatever, and God's saying, but I know you better than they do, and I created you to be a certain way, and you would feel so much better if you'd let loose and just let us have that kind of relationship. If you'd just show me how much you love me. I don't need the big bouquet of flowers. I love, I love the sweet notes, and I love the... I love the things that you say to me. And I love the way you love me back and you sing to me. John Kenneth Galbraith, in his autobiography called A Life in Our Times, illustrates the devotion of Emily Gloria Wilson. You know who she is? Come on, you don't know who that is? That was his housekeeper. He said it had been an exhausting day and he'd asked Emily to hold all his telephone calls while he had a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. President Lyndon Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Ken Galbraith. This is Lyndon Johnson. She replied, he's sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to w- disturb him. She said, well, wake, he said, well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. No, Mr. President, I can't do that. I work for him, not you. And Mr. Galbraith got awake and heard what happened, nervously called the White House, and was to his surprise, the president said, Tell that woman I want her working in the White House. You know, we, have, we should have one master. And we're heading to eternity with that master. And that's who created us. And that's who really gives us everything we have. And that's who we really have our allegiance and our loyalty to. We should. And so anything else is just a dummy. It's just a dummy trying to pull our attention away from what, where it really belongs. I uh, I use this example in first service, and it's a tough one because I it, because of our culture and and jobs and the pace of our our work our work uh, culture uh, things are much busier than they've ever been. I mean, people's schedules with email and text, and all that it's just made things so much busier and soaks up your time. But uh, anybody old enough to remember here when there wasn't hardly businesses open on Sunday, you knew you needed your groceries everything before Sunday because everything was closed down, right? Why? Yeah. Day of rest, and it's Lord's Day. And, you know, even people who are atheists, they just kind of went along with it because, you know, there was atheists back then, you know, but they went along with it because that was the culture we lived in. And so the pace of everybody understood everybody needed a day of rest, and so that was the day. Now, it could have been Saturday. You know, God's Word says we're not supposed to hammer a brother just because he worships a different day. You know, Seventh Day Adventist says it's adamantly Saturday, but the Bible says don't bust anybody's chops over they worship a different day but because our organization has chose sunday and like many churches that's when everybody comes together why would you pick a different day you'd miss out on what church is meant to be coming together so that's the day 
So I understand, you know, what now if you told a boss on certain jobs, I can't work any Sundays ever, and then you have a certain profession where you can't find another job, there's very few. It's, it's very difficult. I get that. But what I want to use as an example is if culturally we can move that way through some generations where now it's kind of an odd thing for a place to be closed on Sundays or for you not to work on Sundays, then what else in our lives have we been drawn away from, our affection to God and our devotion to God, and we've just kind of given up and we didn't even realize it, and now it's just the way it is. However, what I want to draw your attention to is if we really are going after this uh, spiritual awakening with God, how much impact would that have on us if we were able to make a list of all those things where we've given up and we've let it take over God and start realizing if we would devote ourselves back to giving him that kind of attention, that kind of devotion, that kind of love, like we do in the marriage relationship, don't you think that our spirits would be awakened? Don't you think we'd be able to relate and have a relationship with him like it was meant to be? And we'd be much more sensitive to his voice. And the third thing I want to I talk about on this whole subject of God's jealousy is the centrality of God's jealousy. And perhaps it's not comfortable for you to talk about God being jealous, but I've got, I've got to make things worse before I can get them better. Jealousy is not merely a passing mood of God. Jealousy is not a minor trait of the Lord, but it is at the heart of who he is. It's the essence of his person. He cannot be other than jealous. He doesn't have minor traits and major traits. It's not that he, is a great, he has more grace than he does justice. They're, they're both equal attributes of God. And they're both as great. And so, you know, God has no minor traits. Um, his qualities are all infinite and eternal and unchangeable. So he's not, let's say, big on love and say small on holiness. Or, or really merciful and somewhat jealous. He's ever been as holy as he is loving, and even more to the point, he is as jealous as he is merciful. So where does, where does the Bible place God's jealousy? Exodus 34, 14, leaves no doubt. It says, you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So maybe one of the keys to why, if we're feeling a little dried up, or we just can't seem to get that breakthrough, or why is, why is nothing really major happening in our relationship with God? And is our, is our church just saying this? Is this a little quirky thing we're doing, talking about spiritual awakening and our lives haven't changed? Maybe our lives aren't changing much, but you know, whether you went to this church or another church, if you're going to truly get anywhere with God, you have to start really evaluating, saying, what is it that's keeping me from experiencing God in such a powerful way? Why, why does my relationship with God maybe seem mundane or it does, just doesn't seem like anything big is happening? Well, maybe it's because we are, we, are, we are placing our affections more towards other things than to God. It, it's not about how much we believe what we believe. It's how much are we living what we say we believe. But for God, his names are, are revelations and reflections of his character. So, just not just just any name will do but the name jealous fits him very well the the fourth thing i want to quickly talk about is the permanence the permanence of god's jealousy what about the new testament days i mean we're looking at the old testament right and so god what if what if he's not as jealous maybe that was a thing for the children of israel but but is the lord still jealous um or has he changed over time of course, the Lord hasn't changed because it says in the Old Testament, Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, your, your sons, your sons of Jacob are not consumed. 
In the New Testament, we read in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But again, what about us? Well, in 1 Corinthians 10.22, Paul says, Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? And the applied answer is yes. How? Well, in the same way Israel did back then, by honoring the Lord on one day of the week and then not honoring Him the rest of the time. By coming to the Lord's house on the Sabbath and living like the world the rest of the week. It's more serious, I think, than we give it credit for. That we really are. And I think about this often. I struggle too, but when I leave here, I've raised my hands, I've sung out of my heart, and I love to just sing to the Lord. And I've shook hands and we talk about how good the Lord is. And then I can get out there, and you know, part of my job now is, you know, I'm out there working, and all of a sudden something gets frustrating. And then what happens with my attitude then? What happens with my drive to serve the Lord and, and be joyful? And, and, and to really give Him all my affection? For his jealousy, unlike ours, is not mixed up with weakness for sin. What we call jealousy is mostly something else. Insecurity, selfishness, and suspicion. His is just based on love. And that love not going into extinction. So what, we can, what can we conclude about the jealousy of God? That it's a good thing. And that secondly, the jealousy of God is to be valued. Something to appreciate. That God, really, you per, the way you pursue me, the way you want my affection, that's amazing. It, it, it really is. And I hope that you would never stop and think that what I'm talking about, it's just around me. That each and every one of you, He loves you and He wants so bad to have all of your affection and every moment. So I've told you that we, we are going to do challenges. You remember I, I said, what was one of the first challenges we did? Anybody remember that one? What's the first challenge that you're, you're supposed to still be doing? Every, every time before a meal, you read Scripture to the point that, that maybe we'll actually get physically hungry for God's Word when we get physically hungry for food. Or if you're fasting, at the time you would have had a meal, you read His Word. All right? And we talked about fasting and other commitments and other challenges. This is your challenge I want you to do for the next 30 days. When you go home, I'd like you to make a list of, of two columns and put one of all the focus you put on God, all your love and attention. So that's the time you put in prayer. That's the time you put in reading the word. That's the time you put in worship and services. Everything. I, I would count if it was back when I was at Walmart, I would count the time when there'd be times at my desk where I know I'd have five minutes where I'd just stop, unplug, and I'd pray. I'd just commune with the Lord. And so count that. But put that. Then put the list of your hobbies and your other likes and all those other things at work. And just look at how much attention that you're giving to God and how much you give to everything else. And listen, for me, it can be ministry. You can actually be doing things for the Lord and taking away your focus on the Lord. You know, I found that's true. I can literally be working so hard at trying to do things that I think is good for God's people and, and, and others and, and trying to do all these good works. And next thing I know, I've become like a Pharisee where I'm doing all this good works but my relationship with the Lord stinks. I'm super sensitive to other people's needs, and I'm doing it thinking that, ma that makes me better with the Lord, but I've really not spent time with Him. And what's the point? 
So that's what our challenge is. The next 30 days, make that list and, and compare and really get a visual of how much time do I really devote to the Lord? How much focus? It may challenge some of us. The Holy Spirit may convict and say, you know what? I think the Lord's telling me to tell my boss I won't work on any more Sundays. I'm not saying as a whole. I can't speak for God on that for you. I can just tell you that he wants you to have a day of rest. He wants you to be able to worship him. But, but whatever it is, whether it's that or fasting, whatever it is, God, I believe, is going to speak through these challenges. and He's going to say, that's exactly what's been holding you back. When you worship and you're not feeling it all, or you feel a little bit, but you just go home and it's like it's just disappeared, that's it. It's because your focus is on something else and your natural heart and mind will keep going to what you give your most attention to. I've always heard, if you want to find out what somebody loves the most, look at their checkbook because we spend our money where our true love is. I've heard that. So anyway, I want us to just pray and ask God to help us with this challenge. And, and listen, this is not ending on a sad note because the good note is God has brought through his word and said, he's just said to us all today, I'm jealous for affection. I want more of it. I, I want you to give it all to me. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have brought from our word our, to our attention, God, that that one of the things that we're searching for, Lord, the thing that we're searching for, the spiritual awakening, the spiritual breakthrough in our lives, that, God, we have to keep asking ourselves the question, what is holding us back? What is holding us back from having a powerful encounter with you? Lord, maybe something where really, we literally are baptizing the Holy Spirit, maybe in our home or driving down the road or, or, or many other manifestations of your power, God, in our lives. If we're not experiencing that, then why, God? And so... We're looking, Lord, at ourselves and saying, maybe we're placing our fellowship, our, our affection, our love, making you second instead of first, Lord. Maybe it's in our actions and deeds and we're training ourselves to, to not give all of our affection to you. Lord, I pray you'd help us. If this is a struggle for you with our heads bowed and eyes closed, you can pray this prayer with me. I'm going to pray it as I did in first service and mean it with all my heart. Jesus, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry that I've given my affection more to other things. At times I put you second. Help me, Lord. With your help, I want to put you first in everything I do. Truly, like the marriage relationship, I want to express my love not just in my commitment, but in my actions, in my emotions, in my worship, in everything I do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. I love you guys. God bless you and have a blessed Sunday. Remember, Tuesday night is Ladies Bible Study uh, and 6.30 here. Wednesday at 6.30. We love you. Have a great day.